In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. And today we're joined by AJC government reporter and voting rights specialist, Mark Nisi, who's been covering this issue for years now. Uh, back before anyone else was covering it. Now it seems that most of the newsrooms uh, in, in America have reporters devoted to the subject, uh, thankfully, right? Uh, but Mark's been on it for years, and he's he's the expert in Georgia on voting rights. So we have him at a great time. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, and it's, it's a very exciting time in Georgia elections. It's You know, before we start, it's also a very exciting time in um, sports. Me and Mark are both giant Braves fans, both giant Dogs fans. Uh, this will air after after the Friday night Braves game five, but um, I'm going into this pretty optimistic. Even though we have a bullpen game, I think the I think the momentum has shifted firmly into the Braves' corner. I couldn't be more worried. A bullpen game? How are we going to win this thing? And if we lose today, then we'll burn Freed and Anderson. Even if we do win over the next two days, I don't think we're in a great place at all. Except for that. Our offense is amazing, so amazing. So there is hope, but I've we've seen this so many times with the Braves, and we're at that point in the season where everything falls apart. Yeah, but you know we've seen this with the Braves before, but also the Braves have also gotten deeper into the playoffs than they have in you know more than a decade, right? So I'm I'm a, a almost two decades. So you know the Braves could have collapsed in the in that first series against the Reds. They could have collapsed against the Marlins, but here we are. We're and we've got a 3-1 advantage over the best team in baseball. So I'm feeling good. And even if we have to get to Freed and, and Ian Anderson, it's a pretty good one-two punch uh, to counter uh, the Dodgers' uh, fraying pitching staff. So I don't want to get too optimistic or too off the topic, but feeling good. You're not. That's okay. We'll see how it goes. By the time you guys hear this, uh, we'll already know. And so one of us will look like an idiot. Yeah, I'll feel great when the World Series champions are the Braves and the election is over. There you go. Well, we've got until January. <laughs> <laughs> so I always, not that you need any reminding, but I always remind um, everyone who, you know, tells me, hey, you're going on a vacation in, in November and you're ready to relax. I'm like, nope. Um, even in a normal cycle, we don't really relax after elections because then we have got to write about all the things that follow, right? But especially this cycle with the with the chance of not one but two U.S. Senate runoffs and all other voting, early voting issues, another whole round of early voting. But let's not even get there. Let's get to this round of early voting um, because we saw some 
record turnout numbers for the first couple days of early voting in Georgia, and also some ridiculously long lines. Mark, how did it look from your vantage? Yeah, lines were really bad on day one and day two in many areas, not all areas. And it was kind of unpredictable where lines might be. You know, it's kind of surprising. You know, at the beginning, you saw tons of lines in Cobb and Gwinnett, especially. Um, Fulton, they had some initial startup problems at State Farm Arena. But for the most part, Fulton and even DeKalb has been moving people through pretty good at most sites. There are always exceptions to that. Um, And things have gotten a little bit better as the week has moved on, but there still are problem spots. But what's really amazing is how many people have already voted. If you combine absentee and in-person through the first four days, we're already over 1.1 million ballots cast in this election that's expected to have 5 million votes. And that's going to be a record. So we already got 20% of the vote in. And we're seeing a newer electorate, too, according to the numbers crunchers over at Georgia Votes. Um, you know, about a fifth of people who are voted now didn't vote in 2016. So new voter participation, of course, we're not. It's hard to read into those numbers. It's hard to say that just because they're new voters, they're supporting of supporting President Trump or vice, former Vice President Biden. Um, but we are seeing a lot of enthusiasm. And that's kind of what what created some of the logjam. I mean, right at first, the Secretary of State's office blamed these epically long lines in some precincts, of course, not all, but a few precincts scattered around mostly Metro Atlanta on on high turnout. But then you dug a little deeper and found uh, another major problem. That's right. The high turnout is a cause for the lines, but a cause for why the lines move so slowly is this issue with accessing the voter check-in database system that is connected online when voters go to early voting sites. And that system lagged significantly early in the week when so many people were voting at once. Um, I have heard reports that it's gotten better in a lot of areas. I also hear reports that it hasn't gotten better in other areas. So I'm not so sure we're out of the woods with that issue. I think there's still some work to do to prevent the lag causing a lot of load on this computer system that just makes it really slow to a crawl. You know, I heard stories from poll workers saying they just see a spinning wheel. We all know the spinning wheel you see on the computer or taking a minute and a half before every click to load. That can be very frustrating for anyone, but especially for voters who have already waited for hours to get to the front of the line and then have to go through this process that delays everything a few more minutes. And as you noted in your coverage, even though there was record numbers of early in-person voters uh, the first week and the first couple of days of early voting, uh, we're still not near the expected peak. Just like th- with everything else, early voters tend to be procrastinators. And so we're expecting that peak to hit the third week of early voting, probably that Friday right before the election. That's right. That's what happens every election cycle. That Thursday and Friday are the biggest days. There were tons of voters at on the last couple of days of 2016. And this year, every day turnout has been higher than it was four years ago. So we can expect it just to be really, really busy on the last two days. And it's so easy to say, well, just vote early. And that's a great message. And people can vote early, especially now that it seems to be moving a little bit slower. I mean, a little bit faster, the lines are anyway. But, you know, it's human nature. People wait until the end. People 
are most motivated near election day. So we are going to see tons of voters at the end of the early voting period. And I think also on election day, you know, there's some hope that election day voters are moving to early voting and maybe this year it will be different. But what we've seen in the past is high turnout in early voting just means high turnout on election day too. It isn't that election day voters are going to early voting, historically speaking, could be different this year with coronavirus and everything. But, you know, normally high turnout in early voting means high turnout on election day. Yep. And then, of course, as you mentioned, you have you have the added um, element of, of, of a ra- giant increase in mail-in ballots too, and the likelihood that something clo- something around two-thirds of Georgia voters, uh, at least according to polls, will be casting their ballots early in some form or fashion, whether it be in-person early voting or mail-in. So even, but you're right. Even with the even if a third of the electorate shows up elector- election day, uh, that's a recipe for for a lot of congestion at the polling sites, and that's why. Um, the, both the campaigns have been talking about making a plan to vote. You know, uh, Democrats in particular say that uh, election day should be the you know the the third choice and, and have other options available and, and election day as a backstop. Uh, what, what tips are you telling people? Um, and what advice are you giving for people who are planning to vote? Yeah, making a plan to vote is a great thing to do. It's not hard. Um, really, it's about making a choice about how you want to vote and when you want to vote. There is still time to request, receive, and return an absentee ballot in time for the November 3rd election. So that is still an option for a few more days, at least. Don't wait too close to request an absentee ballot or you might face mail delays. But here we are, you know, two and a half weeks out and absentee ballots are now being mailed locally rather than from the state. Arizona-based vendors, so that should include increase or improve processing times. Early voting, too. You know, best time to go is between now and the end of next week. The last week is going to be extremely busy. So, you know, go now. Uh, If you do want to early vote, don't wait until the last minute. Don't go at 7 or 8 a.m. when polls first open. Go in the late morning or the early afternoon or even late afternoon. Those are all better times. Everybody thinks they will beat the line by getting there early. But because everybody thinks that, everybody waits in line. Um, And the same goes for Election Day. You know, there will be lines of people waiting to vote at 7 a.m. when polls open on November 3rd. You can do that. And but, you know, be prepared for a wait because so many people are so motivated and so excited and so dedicated to vote, which is wonderful. But the consequence is that if you want to plan to avoid lines, you can and you can kind of predict when the busiest times will be. One more point from the primary. The busiest time in the primary was when polls opened, but also there was a big spike at 5 p.m. So that is another busy time when people are coming home from work and then causing a lot of lines. Yep, the, that, that, that kind of post-work rush. Uh, although on election day, many employers are letting folks um, off for the day, calling it a holiday or letting them continue to work from home. So there might be a little bit more flexibility there, a little less of a of a post-work rush. We'll see. A couple other notes to make too. Um, check your counties, but counties are offering Saturday votes, Saturday voting as well. And also, especially for those listeners in the Metro Atlanta area, um, there uh, several of the Metro Atlanta counties have poll wait times now for early voting. So you can check which early voting station has shorter lines. Um, and I know I used that in order to calculate my voting time, which was about 20 minutes, uh, as opposed to it could have been, you know, an hour and a half or so earlier that day, the day I, I, I cast my ballot early. 
Right. That's true. And, you know, everybody has Saturday voting on Saturday, October 24th. Some counties have additional options, including even Sunday voting in some areas. Yep. So lots of opportunities to vote. And Mark, I know you're super busy. Before we let you go, let's talk about the presidential race dynamics in Georgia, because we've seen so many polls uh, showing such a close race in Georgia. Um, you know, even a couple of days ago, even Governor Kemp, it was the first time I've heard him acknowledge it. He's probably done it before, but he called it battleground Georgia too. Not something you necessarily heard Republicans say just a few years ago. Now Republicans are saying it left and right. And it's the reason why President Trump was was in Georgia on Friday. He wouldn't be playing defense in Georgia. He wouldn't be sparing time uh, on the campaign trail to visit Georgia if he didn't believe, if his campaign didn't believe the dynamics here, the race here was so tight against Joe Biden. It's so fascinating to see how Georgia has been moving toward this moment over the last 20 years, really. You know, um, Democratic control of Georgia ended in the early 2000s, and it's been pretty much solid Republican since then. And but it's gotten steadily closer and closer. And in the last few years, a lot of people said, ah, maybe Georgia will flip in 2024 or 2022 or 2026. But now they're saying maybe this year, you know, it could, it's it's that close. And, you know, the AJC's poll showed we're split 47-47 between Trump and Biden. So that's how close it is. I wouldn't dare to predict which way it will go on election day in Georgia, but it just shows how competitive Georgia has become. You're exactly right. We've got another poll coming out a week before, a week or so before election day. So we'll have, we'll have some new numbers to share with you then. But every other poll we've seen since our AJC poll came out pretty much shows the same thing, a deadlock in the race for president. There's been an outlier or two that actually showed Joe Biden with a with a significant, you know, a solid lead, I should say. Uh, But most polls show deadlock. And look, President Trump has pretty much no room for error in Georgia. Uh, It's hard to see a path to victory for him if he loses Georgia's 16 electoral college votes. Joe Biden, it's a bonus. Uh, Joe Biden, he'd be happy to to flip Georgia, of course. It would be a huge sign of of Democratic inroads in, in the Deep South and in traditionally Republican areas. But he can he there are multiple paths for the to the presidency for his campaign without going through Georgia, which again is why we've got President Trump here for the second time in a month um, on, on on Friday, um, where Joe Biden or Senator Kamala Harris, his running mate, have yet to visit Georgia in person. Um, since Joe Biden locked up the nomination months ago. That's right. Yeah, everybody is paying attention. You know, yes, as you say, I do think it's true that um, President Trump is on the defensive in Georgia. But if you look at it from voters' perspective, you know, everybody is engaged. You see so many people from all walks of life and all political viewpoints being excited and also very worried about how this election will turn out. Yeah, usually around this time, we're writing a lot of stories about undecided voters and and people who are still on the fence. Well, poll after poll after poll kind of confirms what we've all seen ourselves at the grocery stores and in our neighborhoods and just out in the community. There aren't aren't many undecided people left. There might be one or 2% who say they're undecided in polls, very, very small numbers. But this race is is, is kind of like what the 2018 race was uh, for governor in Georgia was about. It's about base turnout. It's about getting your avid supporters to come to the polls, not to try to convince the, the very few undecided people to show up. It's it's trying to kind of 
fight uh, uh, voter apathy for some of these. So some of the lower propensity voters, people who didn't vote in 18, didn't vote in 16 uh, to get them out to the polls. And that's why both the campaigns in a pandemic are utilizing all sorts of new strategies to do so, whether it be socially distanced door knocks, whether it be virtual town halls, whether it be all these different uh, techniques they're employing to try to get those voters to come to the polls. Because you're right, there there is a there's a lot of intensity and enthusiasm out there, as you can see from all those long lines. Yeah, and that's why we have such an unknown area. It isn't the undecideds. It's that all these people who only vote every four years in presidential races who are going to come out, um, you know, those are the most likely people whose feelings about politics and about candidates are less ingrained. You know, those are the people who might decide to stay home or might decide to come out on election day. So that's the X factor in this election. All those people who are going to come out, but we don't know which way they'll go and we don't know how many of them will show up. But we know we'll be watching. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Folks, follow Mark's coverage. He's all over the ballot access, voting rights, elections beat here with the AJC. And he's got some reinforcements from some of our other staffers and colleagues to help him out these, these final stretch. And remember, we'll have to do this all over again in December when early voting starts again for the U.S. Senate race. Exciting. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.